0: We are, we're almost done with one chapter of Colossians, so great job. Good job, everyone. There's, uh, there's, there's four more, and after that, we're going to do Psalms, which has 140, well, 150, so I'm just kidding. Um, two weeks ago, if, if you're new, thank you for being here. I, I see some new faces, and I'm, I'm so thankful that you're here. I don't, did I say I'm Eddie? I'm Eddie. I'm the lead pastor. I don't know if i Hi. Good to see you guys. Hey Chris, texted you the other day on accident. Um, my brother-in-law's name is Chris, and hilarity ensued. Um, well, it's so good to see to see you all. If you are new, we've been going through a series on the Book of Colossians, and it's a it's a book that the the Apostle Paul wrote to this church that he had not visited, but he had great affection for, and and this was a church that had been given the gospel faithfully. There were some faithful ministers of the gospel who had shared the good news about Jesus Christ, the fact that although we are sinners and we deserve the righteous and right punishment of God, yet God in his mercy has sent his son Jesus Christ to live a perfect life, die on the cross for our sins in our place, and rose again, defeating Satan's sin and death, offering eternal life to anyone who would put their faith in him. They had embraced this gospel message and yet, at the same time, there were some teachers, some false teachers, and some some false teachings that were beginning to creep into the church. And so Paul is writing to, to remind them of the gospel and to say that this thing over here or that thing over there or this new teaching, this, this innovation that you're hearing about isn't actually adding to the gospel as much as it's destroying the gospel. And any time, family, that we hear that, that we need Jesus Plus, something else, you, you, you can't, Jesus is too great to hold. The moment you try to hold something else, you drop Jesus. And so he's writing to these people who need to hear once again that, that the gospel is for them. That the gospel is enough. That the gospel is the only solution. And it's valuable and it's, it's appropriate and and something that we need to hear as well. He wasn't writing to people who were who were unacquainted with the story of Jesus Christ. They weren't unacquainted, or they didn't know, it wasn't as though they didn't know this story, this message. They, these were people who had heard and received the gospel. These were supposed Christians, followers of Jesus Christ. And I, and I say that because we can come to church and think, you know what, I've got that, I've arrived. I've read the Bible, I've, I've I've heard the Romans wrote, I, I gave my life to the Lord at the age of six, I went to a Baptist church and I went up you know, uh, as they were singing a song, or I was baptized in this church or I went to this campus ministry meeting and, and, I, and I gave myself to God uh, and, and, and we can think that we have arrived. And I've said this before but it's worth repeating that the gospel is not, it's not the starting line of your life and and you, you go into some deeper more obscure things of god thank you so much the gospel is much more like a spiral and and the the deeper we go the closer we get to jesus we we never graduate from jesus grab this water sorry and so here we are again in in Colossians, we we finished Colossians chapter 1, verses 21 through 23, where we talked about what it looked like to be unreconciled with God, moving into being reconciled with God, being reconnected with God, having our, our status of being enemies of God taken away, and then Paul talked about this idea of the assurance that we can have that we are reconciled. He talks about how being, if indeed we continue in the faith, which faith? The one that's stable and steadfast, the hope of the gospel that you heard which had been proclaimed in all creation under heaven and of which I Paul became a minister. This is the gospel that he's speaking of. Not another gospel, not another teaching, not another innovation. And this is where we find ourselves in Colossians chapter 1 verses 24 through 29. So if you'll stand with me, we're going to read the word of God together. <coughs> Colossians chapter 1 verses 24 through 29. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. This is the word of the Lord to us. Let's pray. Father God, we come again to your word and we thank you for the reminder and the call to embrace your gospel. God, I pray that that we would not feel as though we could graduate from or move beyond our need for you. But rather as we grow more intimately connected to you, Lord, would you open our eyes to behold the greater depths of your holiness, and the reality of the sin in our life. Not that we would become despairing, but that we might cling more closely to you. Holy Spirit, we ask for you to open our eyes to know and see and appreciate the wonder of the gospel. God, that we would, we would see the good news of Jesus Christ, as Paul describes, as the riches of glory of this mystery, that, that we would see it as the glorious riches that were once mysterious but now revealed to us so that we can see how valuable you are, Jesus. Jesus. Holy Spirit, help us to see that that Jesus is far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and that we, in calling him our Lord and Savior, are brought into a new kingdom that we are saved, that we are reconciled, and that we are tied to a glorious hope. God, I pray that we we would grasp tightly to this hope. And that it would be the thing that tethers us to you in the midst of suffering and affliction and pain and opposition. I pray that we would be a hope-filled people. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You guys can be seated. This is a weird text. Is it okay for me to say that? Because I did. Um this is a weird text. You know, some some of the Bible you read and you're like love one another, love your brothers, you know, you, you read proverbs and it's kind of like real simple. God doesn't like foolish things, he loves wise things, you know, don't be a liar, tell the truth. Just makes a lot of sense. But here he begins to to say some things that if you're if you're thinking about it, it's a little challenging, a little a little troubling. He says in verse 24, Now I rejoice in my sufferings. First of all, that's not a perspective that most of us have. For your sake, and in my flesh, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of his body, that is the church. Now I want you to hear, that, that's scandalous. Paul is saying, I'm filling up in my body what is what? Lacking in Christ's affliction. Something is lacking in what Christ experienced, in the affliction that he had? Paul, I don't, are you saying, Paul, that there's something that, I thought we were talking, Pastor Eddie just said Jesus plus something else is, is, is bad. And now, Paul, are you telling us that Jesus' afflictions plus Paul's afflictions is good? I mean, th- that ought to give you pause, you know there are, there are parts of the Bible that you ought to read and and it ought to you read it and you're like that and you you ought to pause. They're called apparent contradictions and and when we believe that God's word is true, what we don't do is say, well I guess Paul is speaking out of both sides of his mouth and the Bible's false. No we assume because this is the word of God that it, that God's word is true and we we, ask God to give us greater understanding, and then we rack our brains, think about it, come at it at different angles, and we try to understand what he's saying. So this is what I think he is saying. He says, now I rejoice in my sufferings, uh, context, Paul is in jail, right? So there are sufferings. And if you look at the life and ministry of Paul, his life was filled with sufferings. He was, he was uh, attacked with stones. He was beaten, he was flogged, um, he was shipwrecked, I mean, he, he went through it all, and he had experienced great suffering, he had experienced emotional suffering, he'd been rejected, he'd been betrayed, much like Jesus, and, and he's saying here, now, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, he's basically saying, I'm thankful for what God is doing through my sufferings, and in my flesh, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of his body. That is the church. Now, listen, I want, I want you to hear part of the start of, of the ministry of Paul. In Acts chapter 9, verse 15, in, in, in chapter 9, you get what's called the conversion of Paul, or the conversion of Saul. He goes by Saul in chapter 9. But you have this story of him basically going uh, and, and seeking to persecute Christians, and, and Jesus meets him. And uh, he he kicks him off. Well, I always assumed that he was riding a horse. It doesn't actually say he's riding a horse. So he knocks him down, and it, he encounters the risen Christ on his way to Damascus. And so he goes blind, and and God tells Paul to go visit this other guy. And the other guy, who is a Christian, has heard about Paul and is not interested in meeting Paul. God comes to him and says, I want you to go pray for Paul. And he's like, Jesus, or, you know, God, I don't know if you've been paying attention or reading the news. I understand you're kind of busy. So uh, let me tell you, Paul's a bad guy. And in case you didn't get the memo, he's been persecuting the church, and God is God. And so he says, Shut up and go do what I told you to do. Probably not like that. But he tells him to go. And one of the things that God says to this, this man, Uh, Ananias is in chapter 9, verse 15. Um, The Lord said to him, go, right, don't argue with me, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel, period. Now, if we were to stop there, we'd be like, oh, Paul's kind of got a good job. Look at him, a little jealous. But he goes on and he says, for... I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Oh, there it is. So, I don't know what your onboarding looked like. You know, I had to fill out all these papers, and they had this mandatory training, and you just, eh, it's terrible. Paul's mandatory training was, just so you know, Paul, you're going to suffer, and that's going to be the point. You're going to suffer, and that's going to be the point. Then in, uh, in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 5 and 6, it says that um, Paul, Paul's speaking, and he says, for, we, "...for as we share abundantly in Christ's suffering, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too." Because I've experienced the suffering of Christ and Christ has brought comfort to me, I can now minister comfort to you. That's, that's what we all think about when we're going through hard times, right? Oh, thank you, God. Now I'm going to be able to help other people with the, with the comfort you're giving me, right? Let, let me pray more and receive your comfort as I go through this health challenge. Let me pray more and receive your comfort as I, as I walk in integrity and, and, and grace at work despite the, the wickedness and the foolishness that I see in my job. Now, this was his orientation. He received and embraced suffering because he knew that God was at work in the midst of it. He goes on and he says in verse 6, if we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort which you experience when you patiently endure through the same sufferings that we suffer. Side note, we don't get to kind of wiggle out of this as well. He says that in, in chapter 4 of the same book, chapter 4 of, of 2 Corinthians, verses 10 through 12. Um, well, I'll start in verse 7, sorry. But we have this treasure, the gospel, in jars of clay to show the, that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. See, Paul understood that that the point of life here and now was not just to get our blessing and go. There was something in the suffering that he experienced and the sufficiency of God in the midst of that moment that was a testimony to the people around him. They saw him experience suffering and pain and perplexity and affliction, being crushed, persecuted, struck down, Const- this was a man who carried with him Luke. Luke was the writer of Luke and, and Acts, and he's, he's a great writer, but also he was a physician. and, and, and Historians really think that, that it's likely that one of the reasons that Luke accompanied him on these missions was because he needed a physician. He'd been beaten so many times on his back that he probably walked uh, with a hunch, and, and the scar tissue was so great that, that to move would be painful. It's a man well acquainted with, with pain and suffering because that was the call that was given to him. And now think about those words as he says this, now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of his body, that is the church. What he's saying is that he has experienced these things not to add to the redemptive power of Jesus Christ. Not not to supplement or augment what Jesus Christ accomplished on the cross. But this was an outworking of the commission of God in his life. And he knew to be faithful to his commission, he had to be faithful in the midst of suffering and pain. I've seen this in my own life that, that sometimes my first inclination when it comes to suffering is Escape. My first desire is, is take it away, God. And, and the Bible talks about it. James talks about it. You know, when you're sick, pray. Ask the elders to come and pray. We are supposed to ask for healing. The Bible tells us that, that uh, by his stripes we are healed. I'm not saying that God doesn't desire your, your wholeness and your health and your life to be complete. But, but we live in a broken world. And until Christ comes back, that brokenness will not be completely restored. And you will experience in your life moments of suffering and pain and opposition that God will ask you to embrace him through, not out of. You and I, we're, we're not, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, we have not been commissioned directly by God as we are on the road to Damascus to be apostles to the Gentiles, right? That's not our calling. So there are some... So maybe some differences in, in the way that we relate to this text, but the reality is that we also will face suffering and persecution. We heard it in, in 2 Corinthians. He says, you're going to also suffer as well. And I was reading John today in my Bible reading plan, read your Bible every day. Um, and Jesus is speaking to the disciples and he says, if the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. That's in John 15 verse 18. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, remember, therefore, the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. You see, family, to some degree, faithfulness to Christ invites opposition, it invites persecution, it invites suffering. If you find yourself believing that you're walking the Christian walk and living the Christian life and nothing is going wrong in your life, I don't mean to be dour or down, but you might not be doing what God has called you to do. I'm not asking you to go jump into trouble, but I'm saying if you don't find yourself in the middle of trouble sometimes because of your faith and your commitments and your willingness to be faithful to God, then maybe you're not being faithful to God. This is the cost of discipleship, the cost of the gospel. Ultimately, Paul and and we, like him, are called to suffer for this gospel. Now, what, what is the gospel message? Paul is going to tell us the gospel over and over and over and over because we need to hear the gospel over and over and over. And we need to hear it from different perspectives and different directions. It's not just the good news that Jesus died on the cross for your sins, in your place, defeating Satan's sin, and death, right? I can rattle that off, and I try to rattle it off as often as I can. The danger is that it becomes a vitamin that you take every day, and it loses its real impact. And so he says it in a different way again. He says, uh, I am, am filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of the church, that you know, the body. Of which I became a minister, what? According to the stewardship or this, this responsibility, this responsibility that, uh, that was from God, that was given to me for you. What, what responsibility are you talking about, Paul? He says, to make the word of God fully known. What, what do you mean? What word are you talking about? Verse 26, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed uh, to his saints. What is this mystery? You know what's what's such a privilege that we, it's such a privilege that we live on this side of the cross. In the Old Testament, they were try, they were just doing their best to figure it out. I mean, Abraham he was he was worshiping the moon, and and we don't know exactly what it looked like. But God was like, "All right, you got to follow me. Just trust me, and we're gonna go somewhere else." He didn't have the Bible. He didn't have the right. <laughs> all the direction. He didn't have the apostles telling him how to do. Okay. And he follows imperfectly. Moses follows imperfectly. Moses writes, right, the the Pentateuch, the first five books. So he didn't have the Pentateuch. Just think about that, right? We struggle to obey God, and we have the Ten Commandments. And, and, And Moses and, and David and, and the prophets, even the prophets, the ones who spoke to God, they couldn't communicate clearly, completely, what this mystery of ultimate salvation would look like. Now, it was enough. It was enough for people to put their faith in God and trust Him and believe that God would present someone, a Messiah, s- some sort of source of hope. But they didn't have the full picture. And so Paul calls it and says this this mystery that was hidden for ages and generations but has now been revealed to his saints. To them, in verse 27, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery which is Christ in you. That's, That's a long, challenging phrase. The riches of the glory of this mystery. We don't talk that way. You know, I love the riches of the sweetness of this funnel cake. I like this reach sweet funnel cake. Okay. Like we don't, we don't do these these long chains. Paul does, and that's welcome to the way Paul speaks. Welcome to the way Greek was. Um, we could paraphrase this and say, uh, "It's this mystery hidden for ages. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the glorious riches. What glorious riches? Namely, this mystery. And he goes on and he says, which is." Christ in you the hope of glory. That's the gospel. Christ in you. No more Christ out there, no more God hoping or hoping that God will save you out there, no more wishing that you could be closer or more reconciled to God, but no, it's Christ in you. And in other places Paul talks about us being in Christ. This this mysterious union with God so that when God sees me, he sees Christ. When I was a youth pastor, I described it this way, that that this idea, this union that we have, it's, it's like when you go to the, the carnivals, uh, you go to Ocean City, and you see the strong man, and, and you know maybe he's a Tarzan guy, and there's a hole in the middle, and you stand behind it, and it's a joke, but you're like, I am now the strong man. This is a reality that only exists at this beach right now, because all of the, the muscle mass is completely distributed, distributed different. It's, it's differently distributed on my real body. And that's silly, but, but when God looks at us, he doesn't see us. He sees the strength and the glory and the victory of Christ. And that is, that's Christ in us. When we walk, we don't just walk as ourselves, but we walk with the power of the Holy and the presence of the the Holy Spirit in our life, at work in our life. And he calls it the hope of glory. Now, when I was in college, I went to UNC Greensboro, um, just like you. They're like, what? What's a UNC Greensboro? Um, It's a small liberal arts school that uh, it, it drafts in the glory of UNC, um, and you, you go there as a freshman and they basically tell you, you guys, you're paying tons of money. I mean, it is crazy. We love the money that you're giving us. Thank you. So we've given you some things that we call free, but actually it's part of the money that you give us. Make sure you do these money things because otherwise we're just going to keep taking your money and you'll get a, uh, an education which is not worth the money that we're giving you because that's how profit works. I don't know. It was a good school. I'm not trying to say anything about the school. But they had made a big point of like the amenities. One of the amenities was the, the rec center. And in the glorious rec center, where there was the, the rock climbing wall. And I don't have wings, and so I prefer to stay on the ground. Because God, that's how God made it. Like, I'm not afraid of heights. I just understand creation. Um, Exactly, gravity. We're scientists, come on. But in my foolishness of youth, I I said, well, I have to take advantage of the amenities. I gave them the monies, so I have to get the things. So I went to the rock climbing wall, and they gave me a harness and told me what to do, and I cinched the harness up on my body, and then they gave me a rope and tied it to me because this is going to require a rope. Why? Why? And if you don't know, rock climbing, not free climbing, I'm not Spider-Man, they they take a rope and they attach it to your your harness and it goes up to this pulley and on the other side of the pulley is, is a guy who you hope is not going to drop you because that would make it less fun than it already isn't. And so I climbed up to the top or somewhere around the top and then I remembered what I didn't like about heights and and they have you jump down and you rappel down. I did that once because I spent the money. Now, the thing about that kind of belaying that makes belaying work is the rope. I mean, it's not complicated. There's a long rope, right? If the rope was short and I was up at the top at some point, as, as the Blair's letting go, I, he would run out of rope, and I would fall to my death, and they would shut the place down because rock climbing is dumb, <laughs> right? But there has to be a long rope. If there's a short rope, you can't, you can't do it. You can't go all the way. You can't get to the top. You certainly don't want to be getting to the bottom unless you're, again, Spider-Man, and you want to go down on your own when it comes to blaying you have to have an appropriately long rope like at least i would assume i probably there's there's regulations but maybe two to three times the length or the height of of the the thing you're climbing because it has to go up and then come back down to someone else and it's a it's a triangle so the hypotenuse is going to be longer and and so it has to be over two times as as long there we go yeah science (laughs) we'll get there guys i promise um We need a long rope when it comes to hope. We need a long rope when it comes to hope. The next paycheck is not going to get you to glory. The, the next relationship that you have is, is not going to get you to glory. Um, your your own efforts to, to argue that, that you're right with your spouse or or with your employer or or with yourself to say that I, I can do enough, I'm better, I'm I'm okay enough is not enough rope to get you to glory. If you wanna know if you wanna know what glory God has and He is and, and you want to see the end for which we were made, you're gonna need a long rope. You're gonna need one that's gonna be able to get you all the way there. And the gospel, this hope of glory, this Christ in you, that is, that's, that's the long rope. You see, the Colossians were thinking, you know what, Jesus is cool, but this thing over here, I think this could get me there. I think I could really experience God. And he's saying, no, 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 it's, it's Jesus, it's Christ in you, the hope of glory. You know what, I, I think this relationship could really, it could really fix my life, it could really bring wholeness to me. I think if, if I could just get through this health issue, this one health issue is really the only thing that prevents me from, from living life to my fullest. You know, this job situation, if I could just have maybe 10% more, 10, 10% more, if I could get to my, my career to 10% more and a little bit more influence, I could, I could get exactly what my, my, my needs are and I could, I could be fulfilled. He says, no, we need... Christ in us, the hope of glory. Um, we are we're on a road, guys. There's a I've read out of this before. It's the Valley of Vision. Um, there's this prayer where the the guy is reflecting on on eternity, on heaven, and I think we don't reflect on heaven enough. At least I don't. So maybe you do. I don't. And, and so I wanted us to think about that for a second, because this rope is, is taking it. The hope of glory is the hope of, of, of heaven. It's the hope of, of reconciliation and, and return to Jesus. And if we don't have a good picture of that, if we don't, we're not interested in that, we, we really don't, don't care about it. He says, O oh Lord, I live here as a fish in a vessel of water, only enough to keep me alive, but in heaven I shall swim in the ocean. Here I have a little air in me to keep me breathing, but there I shall have sweet and fresh gales. Here I have a beam of sun to lighten my darkness, a warm ray to keep me from freezing. Yonder I shall live in light and warmth forever. My natural desires are corrupt and misguided, and it is your mercy to destroy them. My spiritual longings are for your planting, and, and you will water and increase, increase them. Quicken my hunger and thirst for, uh, for the realm above. Here I can have the world, but there I will have you in Christ." Here is a life of longing and hoping and wishing and praying. There is an assurance without suspicion, asking without a refusal. Here are are gross comforts more burden than benefit. Have you ever felt like that? There's more burden than benefit? There, there is joy without sorrow, comfort without suffering, love without inconstancy, rest, rest, rest without weariness. Give me to know that heaven is all love, where the eye affects the heart and the continual viewing of your beauty keeps the soul in continual transports of delight. Do you hear what he's saying? Help me to know heaven, where when I see how awesome you are, God, it will keep me and keep my soul focused on you to such a degree that there's joy and delight and happiness You may not hunger for the picture of heaven that you have, but we all hunger for wholeness. We all hunger for joy. We all hunger for delight. Give me to know that heaven is all peace, where error, pride, rebellion, passion, they raise no head. They They don't lift their head. They don't exist there. Give me to know that heaven is all joy. The end of believing, fasting, praying, mourning, humbling, watching, fearing, repining, and lead me to it soon. Give me to know that heaven is all joy, the end of believing, of fasting, of praying, of mourning, of humbling, of watching, of waiting, of delaying, of fearing, repining, incompleteness, brokenness. It's the end of all those things and lead me to it soon. Paul was inviting them to participate in the life of Christ, to to live a life that is tethered to the hope of glory, tethered to a hope that's going to bring them to the end. Family, there are things in your life that you're trusting that aren't going to bring you to the end. If you don't know what it is, what is that thing that you don't want to give away? What is that thing that if God said, you can't have that anymore, that that you would say, well, then I quit? What is that thing that you're saying, God, you have to fix this? Again, it's not wrong to ask God to fix this, but if you're demanding something from God, maybe that thing has become your God. Finally, he he says as we as we close, he says in verse twenty-eight, Him we proclaim, talking about Jesus, the hope of glory, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. The gospel is not just intended to give you a ticket to heaven, it's intended to bring you to maturation. You are a tree. You're You're not just an apple, you're a tree, and you're supposed to bear fruit. Him we proclaim, that we might present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works in us. Family, you needed the gospel when you received the gospel. But you need the gospel today. And tomorrow, you will need the gospel. If you're here and you've never trusted in Jesus Christ as as your Lord and Savior, there's nothing, there's no rope that's long enough to get you to God. There's no rope that's long enough to get you to God. Except Jesus. And the Bible says that if we will trust in Jesus, if we will turn away from our own efforts to, to claim that we are right, our own efforts to get to God, our own efforts to to justify ourselves, and instead we will trust that we can never justify ourselves, that we are sinners, but that Jesus died for our sins in our place. If we will trust him, the Bible says that he is faithful and righteous to forgive. Embrace the hope of glory in Christ, family in the face of opposition in the world, which will, I mean, if you're paying attention to the, attention the news, there it's coming. I mean, I don't mean to say that in a Maybe, maybe there will be a revival, and I pray and ask God that there will be revival and an awakening in our, in our country. But, but there are a lot of things that would suggest that, that things are encroaching upon us. In the face of opposition, embrace the, the glory of Jesus Christ. In the face of opposition in your own soul, your own personal demand, the, the, the part of your soul that doesn't say, yes, Lord, because Jesus is not Lord. Embrace the good news of the gospel. In the face of other sources of hope and relief, lay those down and, and embrace the gospel, the good news about Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you that you love us, and I thank you for your good news, the gospel. And God, I ask that you would, by your grace, give us a, a vision of heaven, not, not just the weird caricatures of our culture of, of cherub little babies with diapers playing harps and having wings. Lord, nobody's interested in that. God, give us a vision of the the fulfillment, the joy, the completeness, the wholeness, the, the happiness, the rest, the relief that we will experience once we have submitted our lives to you and we have suffered with you and we have embraced all that you have entrusted to us in this life, good and bad. God, give us a vision that would tether us to you. A hope of glory. Pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Love you, family.